Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Slankson. And me, Ian Morris. Had a cracking game of Guess the Hole just now on our pre-show, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was one of our best ever, I think. Yeah, well done to Captain Kremen, live listener, who correctly guessed, or at least co- correctly guessed enough for us to vouch for it being the right answer. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was so close that I, I we couldn't have conceivably given the point to anyone else. Yeah, I think that I think guess the whole will become the family fortunes of the tech podcast world in future. Yes, uh, with with you, you as Les we'll... Dennis. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, do we get to host? That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be great. Well, I mean, um, I was going to say, I don't know how we'd stretch out Guess the Hole to a 30-minute weekly episode, uh, but then I remembered that they did uh, Deal or No Deal, which is a format about nothing, really. Yeah, and I've got the first 400 episodes of that on my media <laughs> server at home. Of course you have, because yeah. why wouldn't you? There's no reason not to. <laughs> right. I'll be honest with you, everyone. This week's going to be something of a slapdash show because the no, news... no, no, no. That's not quite the way I would put it. It's it's a, an eclectic mix because news is still broken for some reason. Yeah, the news was. I mean, if if the well, news was a stream show and is you as went high quality as ever. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. If the news this week was a stream and you went fishing, you'd go home hungry. You'd go home very, very hungry. Uh, but that doesn't matter because we're going to start. I actually think we should start with your story. Um, All right, Ian, why don't you why don't you start? All right, why don't you hit a a, a bit of music or something, and I'll, and I'll do that. All right. No, we've just done that. It's fine. Well, Again. I thought. Oh, fine. All right. <laughs> so, okay, slapdash is it is then. Um, there's been another spate of articles, Nate, about mm. uh, 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 and indeed a video about the use of subtitles and awful audio in TV and movies. Uh, the Guardian has one, which you'll find a link to in the show notes. I mean, I'm saying this to you, Nate, but you're the one that's got to put it in the show notes, so that's really an instruction. Mm. Um, and Vox has a video on YouTube that's pretty decent and on this subject too. Uh, the Guardian article says that 40% of viewers use subtitles all the time, and 80% of them use them at least once a month. That was figures from Netflix. Uh, now, I know I have them turned on pretty much all the time, um, and that's the only way obviously i watch foreign language tv i would never use uh dub uh rather than using subtitles and i'm consuming more of that uh thanks to netflix commissioning and then cancelling shows from all over the world technically of course there are a lot of reasons that people struggle with movie and tv dialogue it can be down mixing the audio from dolby atmos to stereo or it might be just down to onset microphone snafus uh some actors just like to mumble and Christopher Nolan has said that his films, like real life, aren't supposed to be heard in their entirety. And he wants to use the dynamic range to its fullest so you, and won't hear any further feedback on the matter. Um, it's also a case that directors rarely see their movies in the sort of environments that home 
viewers see them in. They won't watch the final cut of a movie on an iPhone or using an OLED TV with very thin speakers. But interestingly, Fox 13 News ran a story on it last year where they suggested that Gen Z, those born between 1997 and 2012, are the most likely to use subtitles. Those are young people. uh, And apparently they're more likely to use them than older people, with 70% of Gen Zers saying they do so. Um, suggesting it's not actually a problem with hearing loss of any kind. Um, And indeed, millennials like Nate were 53% Mm. more likely to use subtitles than, on average than older Gen Z and boomers who are holdouts. Ultimately, of course, subtitles are an essential tool for deaf and hearing impaired audiences. Uh, The fact that the rest of them are using them now is a sort of uh, good thing, but probably how it always should have been. Uh, Nate, do you have subtitles turned on? There are. I'm. I'm. I'm not talking about things like anime and foreign language stuff. In which case, yes. But um, we have ha- we have turned them on on some films relatively recently, partly because we were having a bit of a challenge keeping the audio levels balanced on our home hi-fi unit. Essentially, you could either mm. have everything far too loud or turn it down, but then you couldn't hear the dialogue so well in which case we could switch the subtitles on. And Kate in the live chat says uh, she'd probably prefer to have them on all the time. And I think that speaks to this, yeah. this, this I, statistic. I have them on all the time. I, um, I, yes. I find a great deal of enjoyment from watching the sort of the descriptions, you know, the descriptions of, of texts. And it was actually a thumbnail in the Guardian story that we'll link to that's well worth looking at that has one of the characters from Orange is the New Black sitting on a toilet and um, you wouldn't tell necessarily what she was doing just from the thumbnail but the extremely helpful bracketed description in the uh, subtitle just says urinating forcefully which genuinely does give you all you need to know about that particular scene she's clearly in a rush and indeed Um, there there is information that suggests that memeing is an important like that has been part of it like the the, yeah. the gen the the younger people are making memes out of things and subtitles enable them to do that i've done it myself <laughs> even though i'm not a young person well you're younger than some older people that's well that's, that's true yeah i'll always be younger than some people probably John says uh, in live chat, I wanted to watch Prey in the original language with subtitles, but got annoyed with the description of wind, etc. I just wanted the the dialogue. Well, John, there are sometimes ways around that. For example, the that there is a difference, and people noted this when Squid Game came out. There are differences between closed caption subtitles and subtitles that so there can be sort of different interpretations that obviously you're seeing stuff that's designed to help people who don't have great hearing um which is why they describe what's happening but there are just subtitles which literally are just the words spoken but whether or not you're the service that you're streaming from offers both is open for some debate i think interestingly if you were to illegally capture that uh program you might find that there were a a selection of subtitles available um and uh mark r in the chat said uh he his wife is fluent but non-native english speaker and it helps that's something else i discovered when i was looking around yes that's quite a common use either people 
learning a foreign language or people who you know uh, ha- use it to help them understand fast spoken dialogue i would imagine yeah so that's a pretty good thing and i was watching a film the other day um i forget which which film it was now um but they were quite creative with the use of subtitles you know the subtitles would appear in the direction of the speaker rather than being mm. centralized and even with a different color uh, and that i think that that was quite helpful because the eye is often drawn to the face for you know reasons of biology and that was quite helpful particularly when you're watching on a on a relatively large screen and i've also seen um a good use of that in anime um sometimes with fan subtitlers i mean it's a lot better now with streaming services but back in the day the only way you could get properly subtitled uh, anime was by downloading it um illegally essentially and some of the creative choices that fan subtitlers made with incorporating the correct text and positioning over things like signs it was always for anime yeah. that i was i was watching um just really helped immerse you in a way that basic subtitling or closed captions um couldn't or or didn't which um which which was great and it's nice to see that played out on uh, on screen you know it legi- was- legitimately these days it was also a function of the difference between how the UK did subtitling. I don't know. This would probably have been true across Europe as well. And the way the Americans have done it. Closed captioning is a different service that ran in the US on analog TV. And I believe needed a separate decoder box, which you could plug in and it would it would use extra information in the picture to generate subtitles. I think they tended to look a little bit better, but it's the same idea as the 888 subtitles for that were common on cfax and teletext um but those that in the uk have always had colors the bbc still does it i think you still get colors for different people speaking which i find really helpful even when it's live like on a rolling rolling news you you tend to get different colors which is which is very clever i mean live subtitling is an art form in itself if you're one of these stenographers they're called exactly Um, it's done by exactly that same which is why you get funny mistakes yeah they are because obviously you can't type you can't i don't know how stenography works but you can't type everything can you there are there are some things that are impossible to type in that time frame i might be wrong but i have a funny feeling tom Merritt did a an episode of his know a little more or something about the about how subtitling and captioning works quite some time ago um if i'm if i'm correct and i can find it i'll put it in the show notes um, yeah great about uh, at, at uktechshow.com and kate in live chat helpfully says um helen zaltzman did a an illusionist episode about it which so oh, i'll find cool. those i'll find those links um and i'll i'll pop those in in the show notes but to go back to the original point about whether or not we use these i i, I wonder whether part of it is that people just aren't particularly younger audiences just aren't paying attention and so having the text allows them to catch up when they're looking between two or even three screens no i'm not buying that because you can't read subtitles if you're doing something else so for example i i am aware that when i'm watching a tv program i will sometimes in certain scenes look at my phone it's awful um but i don't but you can't you can't half ass watching something with subtitles if i'm watching something like um squid game or uh, alice in borderland uh, you have to you have to concentrate because the the dialogue moves quickly and you need to keep up so now i'm not buying that as a as an argument um i, I do feel that increasingly 
there's so much stuff that people watch on their TVs or their phones, but people are not investing in surround sound systems, I don't think, anymore. Everyone's sort of, if you've got any external speaker at all, it's likely to be a soundbar. And whilst they are very good, I I also don't think they give you the granular control necessarily uh, that a full surround sound system gives. I think I've, I've said this before, my last surround sound system, I had the left and right channels turned down to almost nothing and the center channel boosted quite substantially Mm. which enabled me to have crystal clear dialogue all the time Uh, but you need a surround sound system for that and most people just don't have the will or the room or the money but you uh, to invest in that but you could do that even with stereo like if you're taking a 5.1 mix surely you can take the front left and right and rear left and right and when you're converting to stereo, mm. just take those at fifty percent. Take the center channel, which is almost always dialogue, um, and and boost that. Surely, you absolutely could do that. But then you would run the risk of de- destroying the audio as it was supposed to be heard. I guess would be the argument. Um, I, I used to find that it was quite funny because the theme tune for a show will be mixed on the left and right channels only. Doesn't doesn't happen in the centre channel. So Just would, testing now, hang on. <laughs> well if you can outmix me. Um, so what would happen is you would you would with my setup, the theme tune would be very, very quiet. And you'd be able to hear everything else okay, but you wouldn't be hearing the theme tune the way it was intended, nor would you hear any music during the show the way it was supposed to be because you've turned that channel right down. By far, the best thing to do would be for people to listen to things on very cheap equipment and see if it worked. But you can't mix something for everyone. So there will always be an element of this. And people who really want to hear things the way the director intended should have surround sound system in the same way they should turn off motion smoothing. Yeah, I hate motion smoothing. Well, everyone does. But people don't seem to have that sort of reaction to audio like they don't they don't seem to know that you could have a you know you could tune an audio system so perfectly to your room that you would cut out most of the struggles with dialogue although there will always be some explosions and again if you watch the vox video there is some discussion about that in that you know dynamic range is a weird thing and you, and you have to have a difference between dialogue and an explosion or it just it sounds weak and i do get that but I think it's problematic for everyone because they have to sit there riding the volume. Although modern TVs also do have a you know dynamic range adjustment that will flatten that. Well, but they're again, supposed to, but but we we we've had to change. I mean, it's been better. Apple TV has a has a feature called reduce loud sounds that does compress the dynamic range enough when needed to make it less of a problem. But there is still a lack of consistency in overall source audio levels i find where if i'm watching something old it'll be at one volume and something new might be at a higher volume you know a bit like music was you know pop music's always been boosted loud <clears throat> artificially well, that's true and i've noticed that tidal is particularly awful at getting tracks to match <clears throat> i mean i guess it makes sense because they they're trying to give you a, as good a reproduction of the original recording as they can so it makes sense that some tracks are quieter because some are. But um, at the same time, it's like, well, it's not actually that difficult to do volume equalization. 
Um, and I don't know why, you know, some shows run very loud and some don't don't run so loud. And that shouldn't be a thing. It, the tech specs of companies like Netflix and the like should rule that out. And in fact, they probably do because Netflix has a, a comprehensive um, selection of rules about audio and video, which you can read yourself. It's all on their website. Well, if you've got any thoughts on this or experience with sub uh, subtitles or subtitle, um, if you wish, Ian, um, then do... I do not. Didn't think so. And you know I don't. And I, I never know. do. No. Uh, then you can let us know. Hello at UKTechShow.com. Um, I'm currently debating whether to use brackets urinating forcefully as the title for this episode. So if, that <laughs> is, if that is indeed the title of this episode, you know that nothing funnier came up uh, as we move through to our other stories. For instance... I hope that wasn't too loud for everybody. No. I tried to balance it on the mixing desk. Well, it's hard to tell because the mixed version will be different, right? I'm hearing it over Discord. Yes. Yes, so, that's true. Who knows? But it wasn't. <laughs> Good. Um, in the given the lack of news stories, we wanted to talk about. There was something that that came up this week in discussion with a friend of mine, a gentleman called Tom, who may or may not listen to this. Um, for any um, avoidance of doubt, we were eating sushi at the time in a Japanese restaurant. That definitely limits the number of toms this could refer to um but he was talking to me about um his new backup he's just bought um, a synology nas and was very excited about his choice of raid and what that meant for backups and redundancy and speed of access and things like that we had a really interesting chat about backing up in general and essentially it made me think that there are now so many different ways that we can and in fact do backup data that it's worth talking about uh, for instance um you can have a setup on a on a computer where you are backing some stuff up to a hard drive which is not good if you need that data and you're not at home because you can't plug it in unless obviously it is plugged in um we have some things that are synced in the cloud like dropbox or google drive or icloud drive but they're not backups and they shouldn't be treated as such then you have things like uh, Backblaze, which we've talked about recently, um, which does make everything accessible, but that's at an ongoing cost. And it's not necessarily uh, as fast as something like uh, Google Drive to access, that is, because um, you're having to navigate through folder trees and, and stuff and you're not using the same shortcuts, maybe. Um, and then you've got stuff on a local machine. And there are so many ways we could do this that I thought it might be worth us having a little chat as part of what generally is an annual reminder to review your current backup, <laughs> backup your situation back up your junk because you always wish you'd done it the moment you've got something that you cannot recover and it's worth doing that and i do think we tend to talk about this about once a year uh, often when the news is dry such as this <laughs> week so um ian give me a sense of how you divide between what goes on an external drive versus a cloud service versus a backup service versus other well nate my brain is full right so i don't have a huge amount of space to think about uh these things and unfortunately i can't back up my brain to the cloud um so what i tend to do is all of my phone photos are automatically backed up to icloud where i have 
an awful uh, two terabytes of storage space, which costs me, I don't know, what is it, six quid a month or something? I can't remember what they charge for it now. Something like that. Yeah. Um, So that all goes there. I put some photos. Now, what I've recently started doing is because the iPad Pro is so good and I've always got it with me, if I take photos on my SLR, I will often put the SD card into a USB-C adapter, put them on the iPad, maybe do a little bit of tweakaroos with the uh, Affinity photo, whatever it's called. Um, and and then, then those will end up stored in the cloud as well because obviously everything you put on the iPad is automatic or can be automatically uploaded. And obviously then it's available on the Mac, which is quite nice. And I can see them on my phone, crucially as well, which is also very nice. So photos wise, I do all of that. And all of those photos then go onto my home brew nas which runs open media vault which is an episode all in its own really omv is extremely good um and if you've got an old computer with a few drive bays in it and you don't know what to do with it putting omv on it is great because it can run docker and portana which means you get uh containers in which you can run other things so for example i put my plex install in a container um and it's a and then so it's like isolated from everything else um and i've got i've put also put home assistant in a container so i can automate things at home i haven't really done very much of that yet um but omv obviously is the is my main nas now because i was sick of having both a synology a, a hacked synology server with uh, one of their firmwares on my hp micro server and i had a um Oh, what are they called? I've forgotten the name of the company. There's a, a a NAS, a QNAP NAS, but QNAP, the security, unbelievably bad. And they kept getting hacked with various things. And I ended up having loads of problems. And there wasn't, and I had to rescue all of my data. You might remember me talking about this at the time. I do. That, that NAS went down and I had to rescue all my data off it. Unfortunately, it was RAID 0. So I was able to do it. Had it been anything more complicated than that, I would have lost all that data. And that isn't backed up anywhere else. So a lesson to us all, a home NAS is not a backup. You need It needs to be in the cloud if you want to consider it a backup or off-site if you've got somewhere you could put hard drives where they're you know not in your home because if it burns down, you've lost everything again. Yeah, and that's so that brings me, I suppose, to, to my setup, which is... Not that similar to yours um, in most ways, but some ways are quite similar. Uh, I too have the iCloud uh, storage for for photos, but I also use iCloud like people would use Dropbox as well, which is that it is a place where by default everything is stored, you know, desktop files, documents, uh, downloads I use it for, um, stuff that that I'm, I'm relatively frequently accessing or using across different machines that is all there but that's all on a drive that itself is backed up to both uh, an apple time machine backup but also into backblaze which is a backup a cloud-based yeah. backup backup service um that's for all my kind of what you would say a daily driver file system stuff like you know work and play things every day it's not very eloquent, but you know what I mean. The stuff you're dealing with every day. Then I have um, another drive that is kind of like a main backup drive. It's a two terabyte SSD. And that is kind of where 
things that don't need to be synced go, but where things that I might reasonably soon need to use or access. For instance, it might be a video editing archive of a of, of a of a video that I'm currently working on at work. I don't need that maybe 50 gig file sitting in iCloud on all of my devices, but I do need it rapidly when I do need it. So that sits on a on an SSD that again is backed up to uh, to Backblaze. And then I have two other drives. One of them I call Hot Backup, um, which is um, a 12 terabyte spinning disk that contains all of my um, things that I may or may not need within a few months period sort of thing, um, which gets backed up to um, to Backblaze. And then I have another one called Cold Backup or Cold Storage. I forget which one. And that is basically stuff that I just don't want to delete, but almost certainly don't need. And it doesn't stay connected either to the computer. Um, it gets disconnected as part of the um, little USB switch power switch that I have so I don't always need it switched on and spinning um, and then all together that makes up my backup system which sounds complicated but actually isn't I don't think it's not and while you were talking I was thinking about that message you sent me in the week about GigaClear coming to more areas near where I live yeah and um I think that's an essential part of this because on Virgin, backing stuff up to the cloud is actually painful. I mean, not painful because you could set it off and let it go, but it's slow. And you don't have that problem because you can put stuff on Backblaze probably at blindingly fast speeds. One gigabit per second, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, that for me, when, when that when that's an opportunity that I have, I, th- I feel like that I would, I would definitely go for that because uploading it, virgin media's fastest whatever it is 40 50 megabits per second it's just going to take forever to do the kind of photo archive i've got because i've kept you know product photos from 10 years ago which i really don't need to keep and probably most of them aren't very good but i also can't be able to go through them all and weed out the rubbish um so yeah so uploading those to the cloud ignoring the cloud storage costs isn't particularly easy either no although i I tend not to find that they're that expensive um, these days. Like, I mean, I don't know what Backblaze is now, but it's something like seventy quid a year, and and there are other services that are, are similarly affordable um, and valuable because if you ever do need something that's been wiped, knowing that you paid seventy quid a year and you've got all that stuff back is basically no money if that is essential stuff. There was one um, one time I accidentally. Uh, yes, it's 70 per machine, uh, Rich and Russ, uh, but not per drive. So you can have one machine but plug 20 hard drives into it, which I do, uh, and that still counts as one. Um, huh. I didn't realise it was restricted in that way. I just assumed you'd be able to put anything you want on there. But it's actually done what there's like, is there a fingerprint or something? I don't know how they do it, but it's every computer has a machine name and, and that has software installed locally that means that there's some canonical connection between that computer's installation of Backblaze and the servers itself. But yes, if you just so plug your best in... solution would be to have a NAS and just back that up. So back, back everything up to the NAS, and then that NAS backs itself up to Backblaze. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Exactly. And going back to what you were saying about fiber, that, that was a 
that made a huge difference because I've got something like 20 terabytes of data backed up to Backplace and I would never have done that before having a fast enough internet connection to upload um, to upload. Are Backblaze one of those ones that will send you a hard drive yeah. if you need them to? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, this is going to sound like we're sponsored by Backblaze. We're not at all. Um, we should be getting like a million quid for this. Yeah. But they do a thing where I think if they send you the drive, but if you then return the drive to them, you get most of the money back. Yeah. Or something like that. It's yeah. I remember of, reading that. Yeah. Uh, they do want to sponsor us, of course. Well, they can't. They're emailing because they can't. Um, <laughs> I love the way you just turned down potentially 50 grand. Yeah. Don't I mean, it. I doubt it would be 50 grand. I want it. I can just sponsor my segment. Yeah, go and sponsor Ian. Um, <laughs> Every time I speak, this yeah. sentence is sponsored by Backblaze. But it's worth it's worth thinking about because I think at the moment there is, there'll be a lot of people, particularly if, if you are, as I know was the case with my friend Tom, instances where you might have multiple external drives and it might be beneficial to consider consolidating them, even if it means buying a new larger hard drive, consolidating everything onto one drive, and then knowing that you can safely, potentially always access that drive because then you only need to have one connected to your machine um, at any one time. But you could also then back all of that up into the cloud, whether that's Backblaze or iCloud or, or something else, just have the folders mirrored. So you could access them on any other device wherever you are, whether that's personal uh, data or work data. Um, having multiple drives to manage can get stressful, and it does allow for data to be lost because you just forgot to back up a drive or you've duplicated most of, say, a folder's worth of data on one drive, but then you also put it on another one and you don't know which one has the most current versions of the files. If you consolidate, Fortunately, software is pretty good at detecting duplicates and um, and consolidating. So it's worth having a think about, I think, uh, particularly in a week that has very little news. <laughs> yes, yeah. I agree. Um, yes. Why not spend this news-free time thinking about backups? We may or may not be returning to this topic um, for the extended version of our show. We'll see. Well, specifically, if you're a patron, you will see. But first, some music. Let's thank some people, shall we? Patrons specifically, if you're one of them, subscribing to us at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. You're brilliant. Thank you. Um, thanks to everyone listening live. We've got some great people listening live. Uh, if you want to get the back catalogue, you know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Um, had a bit of feedback come in. One from uh, Mark R. Really tickled our... Um, well, good bits of us, didn't it, Ian? Um, <laughs> yes. We, it really appealed to our inner nerd, and, and you can tell this is a... Mark is a regular listener. Anyway, Mark says in our Discord, uh, was on the tube this morning between Tufnell Park and Kentish Town when the woman next to me excitedly got my attention to show me that she had full signal 5G underground. Given people just don't want to talk to people they don't know on the underground, I think this is definitely the most London demonstration of how revolutionary people will find this. Uh, he puts in parentheses for reference, she was on Vodafone and this was the Northern Line. Those are important Pat, uh, fa uh, facts to point out. I, I this sparked a discussion, didn't someone, it? Well, I, 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 it's hilarious that actually someone said something to someone on the tube. I mean, I can't explain how much of a revelation this is. Yeah. Well, I, I followed up uh, with, well, a few people followed up, but um, I asked Mark 
what she if did 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 he see what she was using it for mark says um some online game then she bought tickets for something um because she got a card out to enter her details oh dear and then i thought out of apple pay well then i just thought isn't this a bit weird because i'm asking a podcast listener what did you spy the 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 nice lady (laughs) next to you over her shoulder buying on her phone but um, i'm very glad he did because it's uh, made for a gripping conversation Uh, he did follow up the funny thing too was that she had uh, her kid with her but i guess she realized he couldn't really appreciate her excitement no probably not that kid was utterly useless in this uh, example and she was right to turn to you not the child well done that woman uh if you want to send us an email hello at uktextshow.com i tell you what ian we've got um, yes uh, a message here from uh, friend of the show friend of us both mr tom Merritt, um who's going to tell us what you can listen to on daily tech news show over the past week if you wish to catch up this week on daily tech news show how augmented reality is used at super nintendo world in los angeles megan maroney tells us how best to use chat gpt to write cover letters and resumes why one new model of macbook pro has slower storage than the older version an explanation of what the u.s section 230 law actually does and does not do and a way to watermark machine generated text so you can tell humans did not write it all that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com you can tell why we're all friends right yes some nerdy stuff but brilliant yep. as well so thank you tom um great well that, i think that'll do it for this week hopefully the actual news will be more interesting next week and we'll have something more interesting to talk about but uh, nonetheless i think we managed to create if not a phoenix from the ashes of potential failure it's certainly a, a, a very pretty magpie or similar i don't know good good time to press the outro music um go on then ian <laughs> last words um I don't know, back up all your stuff. It's really important. Gripping stuff. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.